This is Josh Smith, pastor of Prince Avenue Baptist Church in Bogart, Georgia. Our mission at Prince is simple, leading people to trust and follow Jesus. And it's our hope that this sermon would help accomplish that mission. For more information about our church, visit us at pabc.org. Take your Bibles and turn with me once again to Psalm 23. Psalm 23, as we continue our study of this wonderful chapter of Scripture, we'll be looking this morning at verses 2 and 3 once again. Have you ever wondered why the Lord rested on the seventh day? Have you ever wondered about that? Has it ever concerned you just a little bit that the Lord rested on the seventh day? You know, when I think about that, I just hope that that God doesn't treat his children the way I often treat mine, where I come home from work and my kids are ready to play and I say, hey, listen, I'm excited, I'm ready, I love you, I'm, I'm ready to see you, this is great. Could you just give me like two minutes to be alone, to lay down for just like two minutes before we pray? Okay, okay, well, how about 90 seconds? Just, if I have just, just 90 seconds to stop before we play, all right, here's the last offer. If you'll give me 45 seconds alone on the couch, quiet, 45 seconds, I'll be yours the rest of the day. Like you call the shots, whatever you want, 45 seconds. Well, I'm not encouraged to think that the Lord might be that way, that we might come to him in a moment in which we need him desperately. And he says, hey, listen, I just got through with a really big deal over in the Middle East. If you could just give me about 45 seconds to just rest and catch my breath. That'd be great. I'll be right with you. Now, we know that's not true. We know and we hold on to the wonderful promise of Psalm 121, verse 4, which says that the Lord never slumbers. He never sleeps. He's never tired. He never needs to rest in that way. So so what does it mean that on the seventh day the Lord rested? Well, it doesn't mean that the Lord needed a nap. That word rest means to stop, to cease. And so it is on the seventh day, after six days of creating, the Lord stopped. He stopped his creating work. He ceased from the work he had been doing and he just looked upon the beauty of his creation. He declared that seventh day to be a holy day, a day unlike the other six days, and it was, because instead of working on creating, he simply reflected upon the beauty of what he created. He reflected upon the glory of his creation and his own glory and his own holiness. And so it is that God in that moment established a rhythm for all of our lives. This is why in the fourth of the 10 commandments, the Lord says, remember the Sabbath day and keep it Holy, God declared it holy. The Lord said, keep it holy. And that word remember is significant all throughout the Old Testament. It doesn't just mean to think, it means to act upon it. To act upon this idea of stopping and ceasing from our regular work and reflect upon the beauty and holiness and glory of God. What that means is that this idea of rest is not primarily for our bodies, it is primarily for our souls. And that's exactly the point of Psalm 23, verses two and three. Psalm 23 says this, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures, he leads me beside still waters, 
He restores my soul. Now, we talked about this a little bit last week, beginning from the end, and this morning we're gonna walk back up a little bit. We started with this idea of God wanting to restore our souls. Now, Psalm 23 is a picture and and really a paradigm for what it looks like to follow Jesus. Psalm 23, the good shepherd Jesus is leading us in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. So if we were discipling a new believer and we wanted to show them what it looks like to walk with Jesus and what this path looks like of righteousness, Psalm 23 would be a great place to go. And that journey of following Jesus begins at the moment that we recognize that we have been created for God but have been separated from God because of our sin. And we cannot make our own way back to God because God demands holiness and perfection and our sins must be paid for. So God sends the perfect Holy One, his son, Jesus Christ, to die for us so that he might pay the penalty for our sins, that we might receive his righteousness and we might be brought back into fellowship with him. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the journey of following him begins when you come to that moment in which you surrender your life to Jesus Christ, you trust him as your Lord and Savior, and at that moment, you're born again. Meaning that the very life of God is placed inside your soul. You begin to experience the very life of God. He brings you to life. But even as he begins to bring us to life and we become new creations, we still live in a broken world. And there is a war being waged against our soul every moment of the day. The world and all the pressures, our own flesh, the devil, all waging war against our soul. So that soul, which was created for the life of God, but lost the life of God because of sin, now receiving the life of God through salvation must continue to be restored. And that's what God wants to do. It says in verse three, he restores our soul. And the reason that's important is because what matters most about us is our soul, and God knows that. Some of you need to hear this this morning. God cares more about who you are than what you do. God cares more about who you are really, how your soul is, than he cares about your outward actions. Because God created you, he sees who you really are, and he also knows that who you really are in your soul is actually what is going to eventually come out. We talk about the soul as being the hidden part of our lives, and essentially it is, but it's also not. Because your attitudes, your actions, your affections, your desires, all of those things are coming from your soul. So if you have a healthy soul, there will be healthy actions. If you have a soul that is receiving from the life of God, it will also be a soul that is giving the life of God to those who are around you. And so God, wanting to restore our souls continually, not only shows us the importance of our soul, and that was the point of last week's message. If you didn't hear it, please go back and listen to why our soul matters so much. Also wants to show us the way in which we keep our souls healthy and restored. And that's the point of verse two. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. Now these three sentences go together and we work backwards. The way in which God restores our soul, verse three, is by leading us into rest 
and refreshment, verse 2. The way God continues his ongoing restoring work of our soul, this is an ongoing moment-by-moment daily work, as God continues that, he does so by continually inviting us into his rest and his refreshment. Because rest and refreshment lead to restoration. So this morning, let's look at the how that happens We saw why it's important last week. How does that happen? How does God restore our souls through rest and refreshment? Well, let's look at these two sentences together. The first one in verse two, look at that, says this. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Now, the most surprising part of that verse is the first part where it says he makes me lie down. Sheep are notorious for not lying down very easily. As a matter of fact, I went into Google and I just put the word sheep and I went to Google Images and please don't do this right now. Take my word for it. You can do it later. Don't get distracted. But I just, I just put the word in there and I began to look at pictures and page after page after page, I did not find a picture of a sheep lying down. Now, there were some little lambs that were lying down while mom and dad or whoever was standing up, but this is just not a normal posture for a sheep. They don't lie down very easily. As a matter of fact, uh, the book by Philip Keller on Psalm 23 is an older book in which a actual shepherd writes about Psalm 23 from his experience, says that in order for a sheep to lie down, all of the conditions must be just right. He says for a sheep to lie down, they must be free of four things. They must be free of fear. They must be free of tension. They must be free of aggravation. And they must be free of hunger. In other words, they have to know that there's not another animal, a wolf, that is going to come and get them. They have to feel safe. They can't have tension. And he actually writes in there how there can be tension among the sheep. And so those relationships, in a sense, have to be right. And the shepherd makes sure that that is the case. They have to be free from aggravation, meaning bugs and other things that are coming at them. And they must be free from hunger. They must be well-fed. Now, I have to tell you, the more I read this book by Philip Keller and the more I come to understand sheep, the more I realize that sheep seem to be an absolute pain. These are not a low-maintenance animal. They seem so needy in every way. I look at this and I think, who in the world has time for sheep? But David knows this. He spent his early life with sheep, and he knows that in order for a sheep to lie down, they must have all of the conditions right. And so he knows the way in which a shepherd in this dry and arid land of Palestine would lead them to these little patches of grass and let them feed. And then he would lead them to the places in which all the conditions are right so that by having all their needs met, they can then lie down. What you have in that first sentence is a picture of a good shepherd who has made the conditions such that he has content, restful sheep. He says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. But look at that second sentence. It says in verse two, he leads me beside still waters. This is really a picture of refreshment. If the first sentence is about rest, the second is about refreshment. Now sheep thrive in a dry, semi-arid climate and can go months without drinking. Now, the reason is, is because they can be sustained with the dew that is on the grass that they eat early in the morning. But sheep 
do get thirsty. And there are times in which they are not receiving enough uh, water and they need more. And if the shepherd doesn't provide that water for them, they will get restless. And they'll begin to wander away as sheep seem to always do. And sheep, not only needy, but a little bit stupid, will drink the first water they find. So they will find an old puddle of water that is filled with all kinds of things that will hurt them, a stagnant water, and they'll just drink it because they don't know the difference. And they'll get sick. And so what the shepherd has to do is he has to be able to recognize when the sheep are thirsty and then lead them away from the stagnant water that is gonna make them sick to water that is just right for them. Now, he can't take them to a raging river because sheep are timid and they will not drink from raging water. He has to take them to water that's just right, that's not only clean, but that's still. That's a stream of water that they can go to and they can have their thirst quenched. So it is the shepherd's responsibility to know when they're thirsty, to lead them to beside a still water where they can be refreshed. And this is what the shepherd does time and time again. Now remember, Psalm 23 is written by David who spent his early life as a shepherd but is writing this in his later life. And he's reflecting upon life. He's giving us his wisdom of what it looks like to follow the Lord in the path of righteousness. And as he begins to reflect upon what it looks like to follow the Lord, he remembers and recognizes that he's a lot more like a sheep than he ever imagined. And the Lord is like a really good shepherd. What David comes to realize is this, is like a sheep, he's needy and high maintenance. And the Lord is really patient, perfect, kind, good shepherd. And the more I think about it and meditate on Psalm 23, the more I realize how true that actually is. I mean, just think about the fact that, that it is very difficult for us to really rest. I, I'm, I'm not talking about take a nap or sleep, although that's true as well but really rest, to lie down, to have our souls at rest unless all the conditions are just right. Now, I don't know what your perfect external conditions are, so I'll just tell you a little bit of mine. And this could vary a little bit, but let me just, just paint a little picture. So uh, I'm uh, on the balcony. It's very early in the morning. The sun hasn't quite come up yet, my favorite part of the day. Uh, I'm at the beach, so the ocean is out there and I can hear it. I have a very big cup of very dark, strong black coffee. It's hot. And I've got cookies, very important for me. It, it doesn't matter exactly what kind. Uh, those Pepperidge Farms, Sausalito would be fine. Anything with some chocolate and some nuts in it. So I've got, I've got the cookies. I've got the coffee. I've got my Bible. I've got a journal. I've got a pen. And I have no interruptions and no feeling that soon I'm going to be interrupted. And, and by the way, I think I forgot to mention, I'm in Maui, I'm in Hawaii, so there's smells, and it's just, this is, this, I mean, we're talking about it, so I'll just go all the way. This, this is the perfect spot for me, okay? But if you put me in that perfect spot, it's early in the morning on the balcony, got all the needs met, and yet there's some relational tension in my life, there's some conflict with someone, maybe in my family or maybe in the church, or maybe one of my children is suffering physically or emotionally, spiritually, and not doing well. 
Maybe there's some financial concerns or anxieties. Maybe I realize while I'm on that balcony that I actually can't pay for this trip to Hawaii that I'm on. There's some anxiety that is there. I'm not gonna be at rest. Because I don't find rest just when the external conditions are right. David knew this. I mean, here's David who has everything, and yet time and time again he says, why so downcast, O my soul? David knows what it's like to have a downcast, restless soul when at the same time, all the external conditions would seem to look like he would be able to rest. And you know this is true. We know this is true. We know that the perfect external conditions cannot make us a restful people. Now here's the problem. That the conditions are never just right. There's almost never a time when internally and externally all the conditions are right and yet I still need to rest. Uh, We can't live with the constant anxieties of life. We can only handle that for so long. We're longing for rest and we need rest but rarely are the conditions just right internally, externally so we can just breathe and be at complete rest. So how do we rest when the conditions are never just right? Well, the answer is this. We don't come to a place of rest because the conditions are perfect. We come to a place of rest because the shepherd is perfect. This is what David has come to understand. In the midst of all of the ups and downs of his life, in the midst of following the shepherd, the Lord, as he led him through all kinds of difficult journeys in order to find green pasture and something to eat, he has come to the realization that it is possible for him to be content because there is a sovereign shepherd who is in control of all of his conditions. In this life, the internal, external conditions will never be perfect. But we have a perfect shepherd who is in control of our conditions. Now what that means is this, is that rest is never found in a place, rest is found in a person. We can rest because of who our shepherd is. And we know from John 10 that Jesus is the good shepherd. That means that Jesus is the place of rest. And what David is saying is this, is that when I come to the realization that God is in control of all of my conditions, and when I believe that he is a good shepherd who loves me and cares for me and has all things under control, it is only in that place that I can actually come to rest. And that's why the next sentence is is so important. Because he leads me beside still waters, meaning that what the Lord is doing is constantly leading me to Jesus Christ, who is the living water, who puts inside of us a fountain of living water, John 4, John 7, so that we will never thirst again, so that the more we go to Jesus, the more we're refreshed, and the more we're drinking from that water, and the more we come to experience rest. Now, do you see how all of this works together? I mean, we we start backwards and move up. We, We start with the fact that God wants you to have a healthy soul. Please hear me on this. God wants you to have a healthy, contented, peaceful, joyful, life-giving soul. 
I've been thinking a lot about this idea of a life-giving soul. What that means is that out of your soul, you are giving life to those around you. Those who are around you are actually experiencing life. And you know how that happens? Is that as God continues to put his life in your soul, and you are a life-receiving soul, then you can be a life-giving soul. And all I know is this. When I get home from work, I want to be a life-giving soul. I want my family to be refreshed by my presence. When I walk into work, when I walk in on a Sunday morning when we get back together, when I have an opportunity to have a conversation with you or anyone, I want to be life-giving, but I can only be life-giving if I'm life-receiving. So God is saying that our souls have to be restored constantly and refreshed. So well, well, I want that. I desperately want that. How? Well, by offering to us a person who can constantly give us rest and refreshment. And the more that we accept the invitation, hear the calling, and accept the invitation to come to Jesus Christ, the more we will find in him rest and refreshment, and the more our souls will be restored and therefore be happy, content, peaceful, and life-giving. This is why Jesus says in Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, come to me. All of you who are weak and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I don't know of a sweeter invitation than that one. Because Jesus knows that there's angst in our soul. He knows the conditions will never be perfect. He knows that we, like sheep, have a very hard time lying down. He also knows the answer to that. He knows that it's him. And so what does he do? He invites us, moment by moment, day after day, to come to him, to drink of the fountain of living water, and in so doing, find rest and refreshment from him. You might remember before we started the series on Psalm 23, I preached one sermon. It was our first week uh, doing the live stream like this from Psalm 46. And Psalm 46 is a chapter that almost just makes you feel a little anxious. The nations are raging. There's wars that are unceasing. The mountains are crumbling into the sea. The earth is quaking. It's literally a picture of absolute chaos. And the end of that picture, it says this. It says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is by our side. So in the midst of all of the chaos, the call is this, stop, stop, and know this, that I will be exalted among the nations. I will win, I will get the victory, and you are united with me by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, so I am with you and I am on your side, so the one who will gain the ultimate victory is the one that is with you. He is the one that is on your side, but unless you stop in the midst of all the chaos, you will never be reminded of the simple truths of who you are and who God is and what he has done for you and what he has promised you. And therefore, without stopping, you will never find rest. And this is what the Lord modeled for us on the seventh day. 
This is why the Lord, at the end of all of his created work, declared a moment as holy. It's different, it's separate, and it's separate for the Lord. It is a moment in which we stop our regular activity We put everything aside, we put our email aside, we put our phone aside, we put everything aside, and we just stop and give the Lord our full attention. And we read, and we listen, and we realize that in order for us to be a life-giving soul, we must be a life-receiving soul. We feel how prone to wander we are, we feel the attack upon our soul, and in the midst of all of that, we just stop. We get in the word, We let God minister to us and speak to us. And as we do, we find rest and refreshment. And listen to this. This is a path of righteousness. This is a journey to follow Jesus. And the way it works is this. Is that as we do that day after day, listen to me, day after day, you wake up, you're disciplined, you spend some quiet time with Jesus, you let him feed your soul. As you do that day after day, moment by moment, over time, you will come to realize that your soul is being made healthy, that your soul is becoming content that your soul is able to really rest even though all of the circumstances seem chaotic. Just like the Lord did on the seventh day, he's inviting you to stop, to cease all of their activity moment by moment and find rest and refreshment in him. Here's my simple prayer for you, that this would become a normal rhythm of your life that instead of growing in greater anxiety, you would grow in greater calmness and contentment and peace as you accept the Lord's invitation today in the morning, the next morning, to run to Jesus, to find rest, refreshment, and Lord willing, have a healthy, life-giving soul. I pray that would be true of you. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes together. Thanks so much for taking the time to listen to this sermon. May you trust and follow Jesus more and lead others to do the same. For more information, visit us at pabc.org.